Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham brings on a special guest in an interview, Adam Osier. He is the dean of the Free Lutheran Bible College. Sit back and enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Being Lutheran podcast. Uh, right away, you can tell that things are different for us because I am not Pastor Brett Bow. Uh, we are trying something new. Uh, as many of you know, with the announcement that I posted uh, last week or a couple weeks ago now, from your perspective, uh, we are in a time of transition for the people who are involved with being Lutheran. Uh, Brett is in the process of changing churches. And uh, we've also had some conflicts of schedule getting into the recording studio. So just for the purpose of moving forward on things, we're in the alternate site for being Lutheran headquarters in the conference room here at Faith Free Lutheran Church, where I serve as pastor. I am Pastor Jason Goodham, by the way, and I have with me today a special guest. We're going to be doing uh, a an interview about catechesis and education. And so I've got a good friend of mine here with me, uh, Pastor Adam Osier. Nice to have you with us, Adam. Thanks for having me. Uh, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to the audience, and then we'll kind of set up what we'll be talking about today. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, my name is Adam Osier. I've served as the dean of the Free Lutheran Bible College for two years now, uh, two interesting years. I have a wife, uh, Courtney, we've been married for almost 13 years. I have three children, which I'm getting used to saying because I, I have a 10 and an 8-year-old and now a COVID blessing, as I call it. Our son Luther was born on January 6th of this year. So we are now a family of three. Well, that's, yeah, it's uh, you, you, your current occupation has spanned the entirety of the pandemic. And yes. now your second stage of parenthood has begun uh, during the pandemic. And, and of course, that's not altered any of our lives whatsoever <laughs> at all. So it's good to have you. We've been meaning to have you on for a while, uh, but mostly to make you feel bad about yourself. We've neglected to do so until now. So you've kept me in my place. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate well, it's, that. It's, you know, it's the way things go from our perspective. But uh, you have a special insight into what we want to be talking about on here. And also, I want to mention, uh, after Brian left the podcast, Brett and I put out an appeal for suggestions for potential hosts, uh, and you were one of the two most commonly recommended names uh, as much of our audience is AFLC. So congratulations. Is is my mother your only listener? That must be. You okay. are. Congratulations. You are moderately popular in the AFLC. You can put that on your resume. I will, I will put that down. <laughs> that, that is something I'm proud of. Uh, but I really want to talk about, because we have a podcast that is founded on short-form catechesis. Our episodes, by and large, are 20 to 25 minutes long. Uh, the, the target time for our podcast length is an average morning commute. Uh, and what we're trying to do is catechize. That's the entire point of doing so. For those who are longtime listeners of Being Lutheran, the entire premise of the podcast is this is the content of the Sunday school class I've been teaching at Faith and just recently wrapped up uh, for the last seven years. And the reason I started teaching 
the Being Lutheran curriculum at Faith is because my congregation, several members of my congregation seven years ago, asked me if I could do a series of lessons talking about why we're Lutheran. And after puzzling over that for a few weeks, I decided the best thing I possibly could do is to let the Lutherans speak for themselves. And hmm. so yeah. we, we started going through the Book of Concord, uh, article by article, topic by topic, in, in a reordered fashion. I have kind of done a logical reordering of the Book of Concord based on um, how I prefer to be introduced to the material. So rather than go from start to finish, we did start with the three ecumenical creeds, but then I immediately jumped to the catechisms, and then we're in our current section on the Augsburg Confession, the Apology. But uh, the goal is to catechize people uh, into the Lutheran faith in small digestible chunks. You have the great blessing of having a perspective of both what catechesis looks like from a congregational perspective, but also what it looks like in a formal education perspective. As the AFLC, we have... Uh, the Free Lutheran Bible College, you're the dean of the Bible College, I'm on the board of the trustees. Uh, we're, we're definitely not trying to make this into a rah-rah promotional uh, audio. It wouldn't be promotional video, but promotional audio. But at the same time, we do have this kind of formal working arrangement that we're going to be introducing in the next couple of weeks. And uh, wanted to get your perspective on what catechesis looks like, um, and how that operates both in the congregation and in a college setting. Yeah, yep. Very, very different and unique, but but both great opportunities for sure. Both great opportunities and both necessary. Too. Absolutely. So let's start with the catechism. From your perspective, talk about uh, the various ways you utilized it in the congregation, and then now what that means for you as the dean of a college. Yeah. So for. Um, for about, I, I was a pastor for seven years. So basically the length of time that you've been teaching on, on this uh, curriculum you have in your parish. But the uh, I've served as a pastor for two years in Wadena, Minnesota, um, at, at a couple of churches there at Two Point Parish. And then I served as a pastor for five years in Pittsburgh, uh, Ruth Fred Lutheran Church there in suburban Pittsburgh. So in that time, I have kind of adopted what I grew up with which was kind of an interesting uh, upbringing in, in our world today. Even within our AFLC, uh, the idea of confirmation uh, has... I don't know what to say here about... Have they completely neglected the catechism in most churches? I don't think so. Completely neglected. But things have changed. Uh, there was a, an era of time where confirmation was really catechism class. And in fact, at Ruth Fred, that's what they uh, the older generation... Uh, and by older, I mean older than me, uh, <laughs> has, has called, uh, it's called confirmation. They called it catechism. And w what we've done and how I grew up, I grew up in North Dakota. In my church, we had to memorize Luther's small catechism, as well as the explanation that's part of our AFLC uh, catechism as well. And we had to recite that, right, in front of the entire congregation at what we call the catechization. And that was uh, terrifying. I remember having to memorize the second article of the creed and its and its meaning, uh, Luther's meaning to that, and and being terrified as a as a student as a child. I remember that being a horrific thing. Uh, in in order to punish students, I, I don't know maybe punish. I, I don't know if it's to bless. I hope I hope to bless, but in the moment it feels like 
punishment. The, um, <laughs> the, I made my students do that as well. So in, in Minnesota, I made them memorize the, the catechism. In Pittsburgh, that has been the tradition there as well. We call it the public exam, and they have to get up, and, and they have to share all of these things from memory from the catechism. We've used it. And then interestingly, too, uh, in that, I found the same thing that you did. You know, we have these lifelong Lutherans. These people have been going to church uh, in a Lutheran church most of their lives, some of them in their 70s and 80s. And they're asking the question, I don't remember a lot of what happened in the catechism class that I had. I don't remember a lot of that stuff. I remember memorizing some things, and I remember those things, but I don't remember a lot of it. Could you teach? And so I did. So I taught in the adult Sunday school class. Um, we had what I called Catechism 2.0, in which we walked through the uh, Luther small catechism in those parts as we looked at the, uh, the nature of the, the Lutheran faith that way. Kind of an interesting process, a blessing that way for sure. Yeah, it seems like there's this kind of splash with ripple effects in American Christianity where we uh, fell into the trap. And I don't know how far back, I'm not an expert on American Christianity, but we fell into the trap of primarily making American Christianity about personal experience rather than about a shared confession of the truth. And, and it starts with, in, in American Christianity, it starts with the gospel itself. And, and, and I'm highly critical of this all the time, but in American Christianity, we're really good at using the gospel for evangelism. But then when someone's brought into the church, we stop with the gospel. Mm -hmm. They don't get the gospel anymore. Then it's, we have to teach you how to live a Christian life in a moral way. Yeah, and, and live it, Christianly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and morally, it, yeah. it's what ends up with that 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 now popular phrase from Christian Smith that moralistic therapeutic deism. deism yeah. We have this quasi sense of God's role in our life um, that is expressed in kind of the most harmful ways. That whenever anything emotional or random or spontaneous happens that we enjoy, then we attribute it to the work of the Spirit in our lives. Mm -hmm. But we're not being catechized into the faith, and we're not given a language to talk about what we're confessing. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's kind of the big picture of what we're looking at here. Yeah, I, I find it interesting. Uh, the, the nature of sometimes that word churchianity is used. And, and what I've seen in, in different, and in, in we can call it confirmation in that, that's one aspect of um, bringing people into the church, right? Or, or at least confirming what has been worked in them in baptism and, and now it becoming kind of a personal thing, uh, a, a, a cognitive thing maybe for some of those students. Uh, but what has happened, I think, in some confirmation type settings has been we don't want our students to leave. And so we want this experience to be fun for them. Right, we want this to be an, an exciting experience. We want to make sure that we have all the bells and whistles. We want the media. We want the games. We want the food. We want the atmosphere. And what happens then in that microcosm? It's a broader picture. What you're talking about of bringing people into this um, this entity called the church. And I, I don't even want to use that word because God does. <laughs> and it's an, it, it, the people have co-opted that word for something to mean something else. And it's kind of a social club. 
and that danger of that country club Christianity. You bring people into the situation, um, you know, thinking, okay, this is a fun place to be. Uh, what you're really doing is you're creating a country club that has its own set of rules and norms and functions. But really, the purpose is to self propagate, <laughs> like that we are going to continue to exist as an institution. And so we're going to water down the why, right? And when, when you stick with a catechism, right? So when we're in, in uh, and I think you maybe had this experience too, when you um, maybe were in youth group, I, I'm not sure, but I did. When we, when we stick to the catechism and the content of what it is, at the time, I remember hating it because it was extra work, right? And, and thinking about all these things. But now I understand the why, and that I didn't, uh, and I've had crises of faith myself at, at different times, uh, in in college and, and you know different times. But what keeps coming back to me are the truths of the gospel, and where were they implanted? Well, of course, in baptism, I think God worked that in me as a child. But as I was confirmed, as I was going through the catechism, it's those content pieces <laughs> that I keep coming back to. I keep coming back to the Ten Commandments. Yes, I'm a sinner. But then I look at the, at the creed, and I think of what Christ has done as my Redeemer, right? And I think of that, what I had to memorize, the second article of the creed and Luther's explanation to it, uh, was it was something that I, I regularly come back to. And even as a dean now, as we have chapels and things, I use that as a confession of faith uh, because I find it to be valuable. And I did it in the congregation as well. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting how you describe the way church is trying to operate as a social club, you know, mm-hmm. and I hesitate even to use institution because that's a right. very Christianly way to talk right, about exactly. the church. It is an institution, yeah. but as a social club, the language you are using to describe it uh, is actually much the same way people who manage social media websites talk about their <laughs> sure. users. Yeah. And, and, and really, man, this, you know, I'm kind of excited. This is something that's popping into my head now. Mm-hmm. We are running our churches as if it's social media screen time. And our impetus behind doing what we do is how long can we get people to use this app mm-hmm. before they turn their attention to something else? Right. And, and so on the one hand, the church is presenting itself as one option among many right. for the time, the face time of the people. And, and the funny thing is, is when they're doing that, what they're failing to do is they're 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 failing to understand that what they're using to do so can be found in every other way. It can be found in so many other, I'll use the word institution again, because I can't come up with a a club. You can find it in all these other aspects of society. As far as an entertainment club goes, the church has a whole lot of way better rivals, right? If the church is about entertainment, we, we've got we've got movies, we've got you know Netflix is a whole lot more convenient, right? <laughs> YouTube is way more convenient. Uh, but when we're talking of it as an as a body of believers that God has called out and has set up and established as His kingdom on earth, these congregations. There's only one way that that is going to be effective. If you want to, if you want to have a congregation, there's only one way to actually have a true congregation, and it's the gospel, right? So as we as we catechize, that is exactly the point. That we, it's not meant to look exactly like the rest of the world. Now, can we do things that are are interesting? Can we can we say it in interesting ways? Absolutely, but the content cannot be lost. And that's, that's the heart of the congregation, I think, is to, to make sure we don't lose that truth and that foundation or it becomes nothing different than, you know, the next fad. 
Yeah, there's really, you know, to to poorly use a modern phrase, there's really an aspect of stay in your lane sort of thing that the church needs to realize. Mm-hmm. The moment we place ourselves in competition with something else in the world, we're going to lose unless we focus on the one thing that we have that is different than everyone else. So you say, entertainment, uh, and, and I am a frequent lambaster of 90s, Christian contemporary music. <laughs> and if, if there was a, a thing... Hey, Ray Bolts. I, I was just thinking of him today. That's, I could sing that all day long. You want me to sing something for no, you? No, please, okay, no. I that's 80s contemporary music. <laughs> well, I, I picked it up in the yeah. 90s, so that's where it comes from. But like 90s CCM was yeah. all about sounding sure. like secular bands, but with this Christian message. And so the music isn't as good because it's imitation. And then what we found is the message isn't as good because you're trying to appeal to this broad base. And so entertainment isn't going to work. And with the exception of perhaps the chosen, uh, Christian movies are awful. Yeah. You know, and and things like that. If we try to put ourselves in the advice industry, everyone has advice, you know. And so distilling the Bible down to principles to manage your money or to do this, mm-hmm. absolutely, there's there's truth and there's yeah. wisdom in Scripture. Barnes & Noble or Amazon now, yeah. full of that. I mean, exactly. You can go there if you're looking for that. If you're looking for good advice, you know, you, you'll find it there. But that's not what the church is. You know, That's not what the church is about. And we have the truth. But this goes back to what we were originally talking about with this ripple effect, is how do we nurture and grow and both maintain and sustain the truth of the gospel in the lives of people. And what has been the answer, at least in Lutheran churches for the last 150 years or so, is this rite of confirmation. Mm-hmm. But what ended, this ended up being is it was both a starting point and an ending point to Christian education yeah, in the church. And it was designed to be neither. Yep. You know? I yep, absolutely. Luther designed the catechism to be used in the homes from infancy infancy all the way through. Mm-hmm. And what we're finding, you know this as a pastor, I know this as a pastor, is we have so much work to do in confirmation because that's not how it's being used. Uh, and and more often than not, we are introducing students to the catechism instead of building on the catechism and confirmation. Yeah. But the other bigger problem, the one that's written more about in Lutheran circles for as to why confirmation is broken, is that it's also seen as a graduation from these basics of the Christian faith. Right. And yeah. so 13-year-olds get confirmed, and then, like, I've talked about this on the podcast before, I was confirmed with one other person at my home church in Grand Forks, North mm-hmm. Dakota. The day we were confirmed is the last day I saw her. Yeah. She didn't come back to church after that. Yeah. And I have that in my class too. I had a little bit of a larger class, but same same thing. And, and as a pastor, honestly, that was one of the things that hurt the most uh, is that it, when you would confirm people, and I, and I would say everything you've said over and over again to them. This is not an introduction to the faith <laughs> because for, for the ones in, in my experience, Baptism was that <laughs> God brought them, you know, uh, His grace in baptism, and and they had grown up in in most instances in the church, not all, but most uh, instances they'd grown up in the church, and, and then they come to confirmation, and I would explain them to them, right, that this is not an end, 
And they would, they would say, yeah, I got that. I got that. I got that. And I tried to be relational with them to talk to them about the dangers of that and the temptations for that. Do they face that? And some would be honest about it. And some uh, would say, yeah, I'm, I'm coming back. And then they didn't. And, you know, that was really, it was really difficult to see. It was hard as a pastor. I once caught a squirrel and uh, I, <laughs> I don't know, a little bit of a change of subject here, but not much. I, I was caught... literally a squirrel moment. From the movie. Oh. <laughs> That's right. That's a great movie. And I constantly have them, but this actually is on topic. So I, I caught this squirrel in my backyard. It was eating every, it was, it was destroying my bird feeder. Right. And so I'd put out a live trap and I caught this squirrel and it happened to be that my son, who was maybe six or seven at the time, uh, saw it when it got caught. And so he knew that it was there. And I was going to go and put it into the uh, into the water. And he said, what are you going to do? We have a creek that ran by our house at the time. And I was going to set the live trap in the water just to get rid of the squirrel, which, sorry for any PETA listeners or anything, it didn't happen, so don't worry. Uh, my son saw it. He's like, you can't do that. I said, well, just, we'll baptize him, right? Maybe he'll, <laughs> he'll stop stealing if we baptize him. And then I thought, no, you know what we need to do? We need to confirm it. If I confirm this squirrel, it, won't it, won't, it will stop, you know, it will, <laughs> it will have reformed its ways and no longer steal from my feeder. So we let it go in a park about 10 miles from our house. So that's, uh, that's the end of the story. I, I want to commend you for that analogy because it was a bad way to talk about baptism. It was a bad way to talk about confirmation <laughs> and it was a bad way to talk about the reformed. That's so, right. <laughs> good job. <laughs> As a trifecta. I got it all. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But so, yeah. yeah, in reality, the, one of the biggest difficulties we have as pastors is explaining how foundational the sections of the catechism are to mm -hmm. every stage, uh, every era, every part of our Christian life. Uh, one of the big revelations I had uh, early in my time as a pastor was how often Martin Luther directed his preaching back to the catechism. Mm -hmm. and, and you see that in a lot of his exegetical work where he's talking about the actual message of a scripture passage, he'll be rolling right along. And he'll say, this belongs yeah. to the fourth commandment. Yeah. Now this, this, this is, you know, this belongs properly in the fourth commandment. And he, he would use the catechism, right? As kind of like a, a placeholder or like a, uh, uh, you, you could, oh, this is the text. Here's where it goes in the catechism in, in this structure. And it's amazing how the catechetical structure or the catechism structure of his small catechism is, uh, as comprehensive as it is being so short as it is. But yeah, it's exactly it. And he would see that and he would, he would properly distinguish between law and gospel that way as well. He would take law and gospel and he would, he would apply it in those ways. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, I get no, excited exactly about what that. I, was gonna say. But I get excited about those things. That, reading Luther. That reality revolutionized my preaching. And, and as, as preachers, you know this, uh, I know this, it's super easy to get into ruts. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. and, and, and it becomes, sure. the, the longer you interrupt, the harder it becomes to write a sermon. But one of the things I realize is I'm struggling with a passage. I, you know, I'm not finding the theme. I'm not finding how to talk about this, you know, in 20 minutes or less or, or however it works. Yep. One of the things is, well, what part of the catechism or parts relate back to what's being said here in Scripture? And, and that gift that Luther gave, and, and I'm fully convinced by the Spirit, to think about our Christian life in that concise way. You've got the law, 
in the Ten Commandments. You got mm-hmm. the gospel and the creed. You've got the Christian life of prayer, mm-hmm. and then the Christian life of assurance in the two uh, sacraments. And then if you tack vocation on the end, which all vocation yeah. does at the end of the catechism, table of duties there rounds yeah. us back in the tables of duties back to the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. because vocation explains how the Ten Commandments work out in our lives as Christians. And the cycle goes... The whole of the Christian life, the yep. daily aspect, the daily ins and outs of law and gospel played out. Yeah, absolutely. It's exciting to see uh, that. And it's exciting to, to use that because that's something that, to be completely honest with you, Jason, I, I have not done that very well in my preaching. Uh, my teaching may be somewhat better at times, but my preaching has not been. So I want to commend you on that in your preaching. And it's been something I know um, this has been uh, talked about before. And as I read through some of Luther, I, I kind of get that idea as well. I should be using this more in, in preaching uh, type of uh, settings as well. It's, it's exciting to use it in, in class as well with my students. Uh, just this last, one of the ending um, class periods that we had in the book of Romans, or toward the end, we talked about... Um, Romans 13, right? And so where does this apply, or where does this fall in the catechism? They kind of looked at me and stared at me like, kind of, well, what are, you th- what are you talking about? So where does it apply in the catechism? You know, or more specifically, let's break it down into one part of the catechism. Where, where does it apply in the law, right? And, you know, the fourth commandment, right? Honoring authority above you. And it was a great moment. And there was a couple light bulbs that you can see go off in students' heads like, oh, recognizing that honoring one's parents, by extension, Luther explains this well, both in large and small catechisms, uh, that it extends beyond just parents, but all authority. And when you see, (laughs) when you can see Romans 13 in the context of the fourth commandment, it completely changes how you view that text. And it also completely changes uh, your confidence in God's governance of the world, even when those leaders that we are called to be subject to aren't the way that we think they should be or just actually verifiably aren't (laughs) biblical uh, in their their approaches. But when you see God hidden, you know, behind the authorities there, when you see him, when you see him as the institutor of authority and that that call is uh, given by him, it changes how you see things. It does. And then you are permitted and freed to expand from there to the other sections of the catechism. Absolutely. One of the things that kind of what we're talking about patterns itself after is a a kind of rudimentary understanding of law and gospel to a more mature standing of law and gospel. When people first learn about law and gospel from scripture, the habit that we have is to make, well, these are the law passages mm-hmm. and these are the gospel passages. And you get a red highlighter and a green highlighter and never the twain shall meet, right? It's right. either or. Yeah. But you understand that in the differences uh, between law and gospel, there is a almost a dialogue or an exchange. The way I teach it here at Faith is that it's not law or gospel; it's law and gospel, and it's the language that God speaks to us. Right. Oftentimes, a passage, part of the passage, will be law for one group of unrepentant sinners, but the same exact message will be gospel for the broken, or or for the downtrodden, or for the oppressed. Right. And, and you see that thing. The same thing works for the catechism. It, it's nice to categorize it. But the more mature understanding you get of the catechism, the more it looks like an intertwined web 
rather than a linear flow or anything mm-hmm. like that. So you start by saying Romans 13 really falls under the fourth commandment. Mm-hmm. But then you start to expand your understanding. Uh, and Romans 13 also falls under the first article of the creed. Yeah. God's good God's gifts. creation. Yeah. And, and in fact, this last year, I was preaching through the epistle lessons during the last church year, and Romans 13 came up in September of last year. Oh, well, great you know, time for that to come oh, up in goodness. our world, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> especially where you're at. Yeah, I was absolutely. terrified. Yeah. But, but the, the gist of the message that I came up with was that bad government is a gift that God gives us. Yeah, because bad government is still better than no government and anarchy if we're left to our sinful natures. Yeah, and it and it lets you see government as far as it comes from God's designed order for creation is a first article gift. Yeah, and and that He hasn't fallen off His throne. Yeah, exactly. Right? He's still and that in we can still be confident in in the face of that too. Yeah, and, and that itself then flows to the first four petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Right. You know, yeah. God's name is holy apart from mm-hmm. anything that we can do. God's kingdom, kingdom is going to come yeah. without our help. God's will is going to be done even if we're contradicting it. And, and our then, daily bread. Yeah. And then God works to provide for us. Yeah. And you get this deeper sense of what it means to be a Christian from these simple six foundational truths. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fascinating how it works, and it's it's great to see when students get that, uh, see that light bulb moment where they can make those connections, and you realize that some. And this is this is what I tell my students too. It's important to understand from their perspective. Okay, some of these things aren't necessarily going to make sense to you right now, or you're not going to see all of the applications right now. So why do I make you memorize Romans eight, which they hate me for, but they have to, and that's that's what I ask them to do. Why you'll go? Well, you know, I'm just cramming this into my mind. That's not the point. My point isn't for you to cram it all in the night before. It's to memorize it over the course of the semester because there is going to come a time later on where you're going to need those words, where you're going to need to be reminded that if God didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he also not with that same son give us all things? And you see all those things. That's the same thing with the catechism, right? So you're making these, as you make these students, it's kind of, it's an inception in a sense. You know, it's induction into, you know, kind of this, this idea of grasping these things and burying them in your heart. And here's what I want to share. Just a, a sense of that from my own experience has been this. I, I would often, as a pastor, and I know you as well, would visit those in the nursing home. And I visited many, many people with dementia in, in my time. In fact, my own father passed away from young onset dementia. The thing that I would witness time and time again is that older generation had that catechism buried in their hearts. There was a woman, her, her name was Betty. Uh, I, I went to visit her and I'd visit her often. And, and uh, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but she, she didn't know if she was on foot or horseback. <laughs> yeah, Betty, Betty did not know who I was or what was going on at the time. But when I would start to pray the Lord's Prayer with her, she would join in with me. Mm-hmm. And if she was upset, and sometimes she was, she would calm down. Uh, when we would start to recite the creed with her, she would know the creed, <laughs> right? And and it, the Ten Commandments, she would know the Ten Commandments. Why? Because she buried it there. And those things last, <laughs> even if it doesn't make sense to, in our confirmation age, in my experience, seventh and eighth grade, right? Uh, even if it, it doesn't make sense to them then, I explained to them, this is a lifelong event. 
This is, this is lifelong truth that summarizes God's word for you. And if you hide it now, it'll be remembered in the darkest times. And seeing that with Betty and, and others, many others, but Betty was the most vivid memory I have of that because of how dementia had ravaged her body and mind and yet how the word was still buried there. It was true of my dad as well. Different things came up at different times. It's a beautiful thing how God works that way. No, it's really, I have exactly the same experience. The, the member that, the former member that I had in the nursing home would actually, when I would get there, would start cussing me out. <laughs> the, and, uh, just a mouth like a sailor, yeah. you know. And the first time or two it happened, I, I, it was a jarring experience because, you know. Was that your fault? I mean, <laughs> did you say something to her? Did you instigate this? Or? Uh, when people react against me, I can't ever blame them because of my <laughs> abrasive personality. But, but what I began to notice, as soon as I started the communion liturgy yeah. with her, she was right there yeah. she, through the whole thing. And then at the end, we'd pray the Lord's Prayer and I would do the benediction. As soon as I said amen, she would revert back. Yeah, And like these things get buried. We might not understand how it applies, but it is always worth knowing. And it's always worth having access to that information. One of my major concerns for our generation <laughs> is... What is there yeah. when we lose our minds? What will come up when we're in the nursing home? Yeah. And, you know, I, I pray that the, the, the worst of it will just be baseball statistics in my <laughs> mind. But it, it's something we haven't concerned yeah. because we've uh, been raised with and then ourselves have emphasized this kind of idolatry of variety mm -hmm. for the sake of entertainment almost. Yeah. That, that there's not that consistency in confession. And that's actually... Talking about confession is where we're going to put a pause on this episode because we're going to shift gears a little bit for the next time to where that we're talking about the difference between catechesis and confession and what that looks like in the informal congregational setting and what it looks like in a formal training center like what you have going on at the Bible College. So uh, we'll pause here. Uh, and next week, you will hear the conclusion of my conversation with Adam. So thanks for joining us, Adam. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, hope that uh, we haven't lost too many listeners by this pause in our content. And I do want to say uh, thank you again for your time uh, and for listening to us. And God bless your day. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please tune in next week as we continue our special guest interview series. God bless you and have a great week.